Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. At Autism Personal Coach, we know that when you're autistic, the world isn't designed with your unique traits in mind and everyday demands can feel insurmountable. However, when you're a black autistic person, you're even further marginalized. We want to support truly all autistic people at Autism Personal Coach, and that's why it's so important for us to, to continue to learn to support black autistics. Recently, I read an article from Katina Burkett discussing six important things professionals can do to be better supports to black autistic people, and we will talk about that article with Katina today. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Katina, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wanted to start out by learning where does your story in the autistic community begin? I was a counselor therapist at one point. So I've worked with all types of folks and um, I've had some people on the spectrum. But um, as time went on, I um, realized there was something different about me, you know, and I didn't quite know what it was. So I figured, hmm, using all my background and education, I said, what's going on here? Do I have a personality disorder? Why am I not getting along with people? And, you know, but I'm not attention seeking or I'm not antisocial what's going on so i broke it down and then i really found out that i had traits over over the past couple of years at 18 i found out i do have it so i went to see a doctor about it and um and that brought me here that became my new normal i recently read a great article you wrote called the katina method which was about how professionals can do a better job of supporting black autistic people the first thing you discussed was the need to, uh, for professionals to first think about culture. How can professionals do a better job in thinking about culture as it relates to black people? I'm black, so I'm going to talk about the, the culture I know of. But culture, period, if you're Asian, anything, Indian, we just have a different way of doing the same thing. You know, you can go to everyone's house and eat dinner with them, and there are different ways of doing everything. The same thing, going to each house, eating dinner, there's different ways of doing it. So if you're not open to how that person communicates, you miss important things. And I feel like the DSM is a generalization of norms. You know, I'm not sure who the norms are based on, but um, it's not based on everyone because everyone have different types of behaviors. So... That's my thing with culture and how it was treated. So that's how my issue with culture and autism. Well, the, the, the original diagnosis, and, I, and still we, I think, have a long way to go with it, was based on white, white male. Um, yeah. And so, that, so that norm is not really something, something we need to do a better job with in terms of helping more people to be diagnosed. You, you discuss the importance of professionals asking themselves sometimes difficult questions in regards to their ability to support black autistic people. What are some of the questions they should be asking? Um, you know, how do they feel about talking about race and culture at the beginning of sessions? Do you feel comfortable? You know, do you feel you know enough about others 
in other cultures to talk about what you could possibly be missing after being 10, 20, 15, whatever, how many years you've been doing this? Do you feel comfortable saying, hey, I want to learn more about what I may not know because many people feel they've been doing this for so long, there's nothing else to know. But you need to ask yourself, like these hard kind of sensitive subject these days. Look at yourself and be honest about how do you feel about it so you can address, you know, other people fairly. Another important point you brought up in the article is that professionals should be do a better job in regards to investigating. Yes. I always say that autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience. And I especially like in this article where you talked about the importance of talking to black people who are adults on the spectrum and let them educate you on their experiences growing up. If professionals would do this, what do you think they would be surprised to learn? The cultural aspect, like um, many black families, if you ask my mother when I was younger if I had issues, she would tell you I was a good kid. I was the one she didn't have to talk to a lot. So if you're going to try to talk to her about me having some symptoms, she would not have that conversation with you because the other two who are acting out, who are getting in trouble, those are the ones that need the attention, so you would never get to me. And, and that's the thing. Um, how to talk about kids like me who are quiet and that's abnormally quiet. You know, it's not just being a good tip. We're, we're, we're over-compliant. So it's things like that where um, you wouldn't even get the average working, managing the household, you know, black parent who has this good kid to focus on them as an issue, especially with distrust with mental health and the history. You know, it's like, why are you going after my good kid? So that, to me, is just a, an important thing. Do you have a sense of why you were abnormally quiet as a child? No, now. I, my whole life makes sense now. Um, I read an article, and the lady said um, what she found out, what her diagnosis was, it was like taking a corset off after wearing it for 30 years. So I was like, she's right. You can finally breathe. You get an understanding of who you are. And why was I so quiet? Why did I do well in school anyway, despite whatever chaos was going on? Why I wouldn't fight with people, why I didn't lie. You know, a lot of things make sense now. Another critical point you brought up in your article is the nine-point check, which is to understand the culture and language of parents so you can address the child, teen, or adult appropriately. What is some language that black caregivers might use about their child that professionals should be listening for in order that would help them to identify appropriate services? We might say, I don't know, um, I don't know why she's so, why she acts like that. Why she, she's just different. That's to me, that's a key word. She's just different, different how. Ask different how, get specific on what, what are those differences? How is she so different? And they say things like, um, the looking in the eye, that's kind of general. That's kind of general. Like, you know, and, and they don't look at me and, and she acts weird. But in some cultures, you know, it's a sense of humility. You know, if you're not getting looked directly in the eye, especially if they're trying to catch you in a lie. If they're trying to catch you in a lie, eye contact usually means something. And when you're a little kid, if they catch you before three years old or four years old, that might mean a big thing. But if you're late diagnosed and you're... T- and you're 15, it may show some humility. It may not be so much. You may miss the fact that the eye contact is not there as much because you didn't notice it when they were younger. So they may say, you know, you may want to ask them about it 
What about if the caregiver, you mentioned in your article about the caregiver mentioning that their child or adult is rude and dismissive? I was rude because I see you and I'll say hello, but I don't smile. So that's considered rude. So the, you would, I would think you would ask how often do they smile? Are they a smiling person? Do they smile all the time? Is that their norm? You would ask them about their norm, and um, if the parent, hopefully the parent may see it as they're not listening. They don't do as I'm asking them to do, something simple like smile. So the way you ask that will matter. And the thing is, some, you know, a lot of professionals are trying to be culturally sensitive and saying, you know what, that's normal in their home, because, you know, maybe the kids don't smile a lot. Mm-hmm. But then you won't look at as a, um, a diagnosis as, as this. Like, why would they won't go toward this social issue? And I think there's a thing with, with autism where they, I was looking at the spectrum when they call it the autism spectrum condition. And it's because of the social part, not so much of the stemming and the behaviors and the ukulele or nothing, but it's the social issue. And so if we could just kind of separate the social part. And then if he's asking something about, well, she's rude. Does she always smile? Does she? Is she angry? Do you ask questions? You know, just have a lot of little probing to find out more about it, I think would be helpful. And you mentioned earlier about being a really quiet child and compliance. Um, yeah. If, if parents talk about their child in, in those terms, how should a professional respond? It's going to be tough. It, but it will give you insight on what other things you can look at to ask. Because um, even other parents I've spoken to, because I know it's a sensitive subject because they're advocating for their kid, they don't want to feel like they don't know their kid. So I'm in a tough place by being on it saying, do you realize that when they're quiet, it's because they don't know how to get in trouble. It's not because they're not, no, they're not wanting to be curious. They really don't know how. They don't know how to... So, they don't know how to control what may not happen because we live in anxiety. So they, they don't want to do something that's going to cause a big problem if they don't know what's going on. So they're going to be sheepish. So it's just talking to people about why they don't do that and helping them understand that these kids are living in, they're constantly weighing the consequences even when they don't talk. One of the other things that you mentioned caregivers will talk about is their child being simple or naive. The naive and simple, yes. I was told that you let people get over on you. Even as an adult, I get that. And it's not that I let people get over on me. It's that um, I saw the little sayings and those little things that says, um, sometimes you have to play the fool of a fool so other people don't realize. You just have to play the game so people don't realize that you know what's going on. And I use that because I know what they're doing. I know that they're not being fair. I know that they're taking advantage. But my in my head, the only option is to call them out. You know you were wrong for what you did. And that's rude. See, that goes back to the rude. Mm-hmm. And then you don't want to be rude and push people away. So when they're trying to use you, and if you catch them in that spot, in that moment, then they're upset. So I, there's a really hard way to deal with non-autistics when it comes to that. Because fairness is about survival of the fittest. Whereas for someone who's on the spectrum, fairness is I take my turn, you take your turn. That's not the real world. 
So if I call you out, then it becomes an argument. So there's just this, it's just really hard to bring that up, but to let them know that, you know, we can speak up for ourselves, but then mom, I'm going to hold you, I'm going to call you out too. See, everyone's going to get called out in the process of you helping me not being, you know, being used or mistreated. And that's where people's feelings get hurt. So that's, that's the hard part. And if, and if you if don't, that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it, as an autistic person, if you don't do that, you're masking or ca- camouflaging, and yes. which can be a very harmful thing to do. Because just like little children, we see things as they are. We're not, you know, I'm not a child, have been a child in many years, but I see things for what they are clearly. So just like a kid might come up and say something that's just as hurtful, but they're just calling it like they see it. That's just the way we see things. And as a grown woman who knows how to behave, who knows how to mask, who knows how to do all those things, I still see things that clearly. So it gets difficult to have those kind of conversations where you're pretending you don't see when I can't see anything any other way. Mm -hmm. Another really important point that you brought up was talking about how some some autistic people um, will care. Givers will say that my child does not strictly identify with black culture. Talk a little bit about that. People will agree. Believe me, I get black people that disagree with me wholeheartedly. Believe that. But my whole point is um, I'm very based in being me, not me because I'm black. I'm based in being me. So it's like, um, this is weird. When I was growing up, um, and this is so funny, it's not funny, but... I had a really regular pair of shoes out of the bargain bin, okay? And they didn't have a name on them. So, so I wrote my name on them, okay? So they were Katina sneakers, okay? So I did this when I was little, and the guy was like, I went outside to play, and he was like, why would you do that? Those are not Nikes. Those are not Adidas. Like, what are you doing? And it didn't matter to me. I'm like, people so hung up in what my sneakers are. I said, they're cute, and they're on my feet. Let's go. So I wasn't hung up in the... I wanted to have things like the other kids, of course, but I was more hung up in being comfortable and what I liked and what made me feel good. So it's not so much as your race first as it is, it's just being and existing. And I think, you know, if people just really listen to what I'm saying, we're not hung up into other people. We're hung up into just being comfortable and getting along. And then we, of course, we know what we are, but, you know. It's not primary all the time until you get older and you realize it affects everything. Now, in reading your article, a theme that I seem to pick up on is that professionals don't do a very good job in listening to black autistic people and their families. Why do you think that is? I don't, they don't believe we exist. Who wants to talk to a unicorn without someone thinking they're crazy? You know? So it's like... Um, even though I have the background and the work experience and then I know what's going on with me, no one wanted to hear that. Oh, you're just going through something. Yeah, we all a little bit autistic. You know, I just got all this. It just, oh, maybe trauma. That was the big one. Somehow my past was so traumatic. I'm confusing it. So I'm a great assessor. I can diagnose. I'm just so great at my job. But when it comes to telling you what I need, something's wrong with me. I'm missing the mark. I don't know what's going on. So even being acknowledged that I even exist is awful. So, and I think that's the issue for them because the first thing they do is say, I don't have any um, 
I haven't seen any uh, studies. I haven't read any articles. So as long as they can't back it up by empirical evidence, I really don't exist. Yeah, that's the problem. Now, I think if a professional is an ally, it's something that you have to do on a daily basis. Something that you must continue to work at because it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It's about what you're doing today to be an ally. So what Absolutely. are things professionals can do on a daily basis to show that they're supporting black autistics? Include us in the conversation. Whenever you get a chance. Whenever you're talking about whatever it is. Because whatever any other child of any other race that has autism, we got that same issue. 10 out of 10, sure. So just include us in it. Oh, well, how does that look over here? Whatever you're doing for whoever at autism, is it society, or whoever you're working with. Well, do you have a lot of people of color there? What are we doing for them? Just bring it up. Incorporate is all I can ask. Now, I know you've written several books. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your books and how they can go about purchasing them? Well, I've been having a problem with them, but they were on Amazon because Amazon, for some reason, found some issue. I think someone didn't agree with what I was talking about as far as being black and autistic children and how I used it. And so they was taking it where you couldn't purchase it. So I'm like, wow, even someone has a disagreement. It's like you can't even, I can't even be black and autistic and have my understanding of what it is without someone feeling something about it. And it's causing it, they don't want to, they don't want to talk about why they're not, they took it down. So they've been selling it. And all of a sudden they're not selling it, but you probably can still buy some of the other ones. I have a, a few different ones. They have the picture book form. And I use that format because um, it's easier to give examples on what's happening and the thought ideas and how it looks for girls and how it may look for children who are African-American and um, how church plays a big part in um, their belief system. So trying to get them not to just pray on it and actually do something different is going to be a challenge. And you and providers need to be understanding just how big church is for a lot of ethnicities, really. It's like, well, we'll just pray about it or we'll just do whatever about it before you can get them to um, deal with something that's not with psychosis. If it's not a psychosis type thing, they feel you can just pray it away, you know, in many cases, not all cases. But um, so it's about, it's, it's, a picture, it's a picture book format talking about growing up with it, how um, it, it addressed situations such as um, not understanding flirting from creepiness, like a guy might be flirting with you and he may not have the best intentions and we don't get it if you're a female. And a lot of times as a young lady, her body goes through puberty and she doesn't realize the, the message that sends just by her body changing and how people are approaching her, that puts her in danger. Uh, uh, the, being a tough guy, if you're a boy, you need to get out there and fight. You know, you may want to put them in martial arts or some kind of format of a, of a self-defense class, but they're not naturally going to want to get out there and fight. That, that's not how their aggression works. You know, so it's just, it touches on a lot of subjects in a very non-direct way that I think leads conversation. Thinking back to the books you've written, how do you think as an autistic person that writing has helped you? Helped me understand everything. Um, I get so many things from when I was little to now that I missed. And why I'm still in this situation dealing with the same things now that I was dealing with when I was young. It helped me understand just how limiting the social deficit is. 
thinking for black autistic young women, women thinking back to maybe middle school, high school, what advice would you have for them at, in accepting their autistic identity? I tell you this, if I wasn't older, I wouldn't accepted the, I wouldn't really, and I wasn't in mental health, I wouldn't have accepted it. Because, it, because the traits are so subtle. And being that we're seen as being angry and we're judged as being tough and strong, that, that, that being silent and that not fighting and that moving through things anyway gets confused. Because I'm quiet and I don't recognize what's happening around me. So I keep going forward, but that gets confused with being a strong black woman. And that's hard because who's going to pick out that I'm not a strong black woman? I don't know what the heck is going on. <laughs> I just, I'm just moving straight forward. So it's like stereotypes really, it really is a, um, it holds you back. It really holds you back. And especially if you're going to school and you're doing well in school, then there's nothing wrong with you. You can, you're just choosing. Everything with us is a choice. It's not that we don't know better. Everything with us is, oh, you're choosing not to listen. You're choosing not to do what you're asked to do. So you're not given the, you know, you're not given the, um, the option or no one's giving you the chance to just have an issue that's a problem that you're not, you don't, you don't know any better. Everything you do is purposeful. So you don't make silly mistakes. If you did it, then that's how you are. So it's just so many stereotypes and, and assumptions in the belief system of just a culture, society-wise, and within. It just limits us. Well, Katina, I really enjoyed the conversation today. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to Katina for the conversation. To read Katina's article about the six things professionals should do to support black autistics, check out the podcast description for this episode. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also really appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Michael Andelsick about life as an autistic fashion designer. Talk to you then.